Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Just one week left in the season uh, and as always there's much to talk about. Matt Walsh here and I'm joined by Jake Michaels. Jake, we're going to talk finals fixturing, we're going to talk Hawthorne's leadership, we're going to talk Eddie Betts, we're going to talk a record going back to 1998. Is there anything I've missed before we jump into a big one? Uh, probably not. You're you're all over it as always. So I'm just I'm following you. You're 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 steering this ship. So I'm I'm trusting you that you've got everything. But um, I'm excited. I must say I'm excited now that I, and I'm not against the pre-finals buy, but having the the finals start a week earlier now it feels a little bit closer, and I'm I'm really excited for it. Although it's not probably not going to be the proper spring weather that we're used to having. Uh, potentially, it depends on where these finals are played as well. Christian Jolly from Champion Data, good to speak with you again for another week. Uh, getting excited for finals? Yeah, it's uh, also just for round 23 to have, you know, four or five live games still. Um, you know, matter for the ladder, it's, yeah, it's exciting next four. Yeah, that Adelaide North game is going to be a going to be a belter. <laughs> We've got some stats for you later that, yeah. <laughs> got some interesting implications, Jake. Yeah, so do, don't, do make don't that get... game interesting. <laughs> no, I'm being <laughs> serious. No, I know. We did, uh, we did a, we did a roundtable uh, column this week and it was sort of, there was a question on there. I think it was what game are you most looking forward to? And I actually put that game for yeah. reasons we're about to discuss uh, very soon. So make sure you stay tuned. Um, before we do get into the nitty gritty though, uh, something quirky or interesting from the weekend that grabbed your attention, Jake. Um, something you don't see too often is a free kick that gets paid against a player for kicking or punching the ball away. Occasionally we see it once the ball's clearly crossed the, the boundary line. And Jake Malcham did it in the Melbourne game um, on Sunday when someone had had a shot and the ball went across the face of goal, um, bounced out at probably a meter or a meter and a half out of, out of bounds. And he just booted the ball off the ground straight into the stands. And the D's are, the game was won at that point, but you've got to wonder why he did that. It, it's not it's not like it was Bailey Fritch that did it that had a great game, kicked seven goals, and he just you know silly mistake. But someone like Jake Melksham that's really on the cusp of being you know he's he's on that that twenty two sort of uh, point where he's not guaranteed a final spot. Seems crazy that you'd do something like that and jeopardize your position in the team. And I wouldn't be surprised, given given how close it is in the, the battle for spots in this team, if that costs him a game this week. I'll be very interested to see what Melbourne's team is this week. Um, I, I don't understand why he felt the need to do it. It's not like he had pent-up frustrations that the, the team was behind. Um, they were, they were, I think they were clearly going to win by the point that that, that came. And he just... Yeah like had a bit of a brain freeze and then just booted the ball. And it, it could have been a lot worse if it had been in the, the other back line, if it had been in his, his back line instead of his forward line, it could have ended up in a, in a shot on goal. But um, yeah, bizarre. But it wasn't the only piece of football sort of shithousery, I think is probably the word I'd use to describe it. Excuse but, me? <laughs> we can only say that once uh, this episode. And then we, I think we're still okay with our little PG rating. But what about David Mundy in the Derby when um, the, the ball sort of spills and there's a ball up, in a forward pocket there and a massive players and Liam Ryan's on the bottom of the pack and David Mundy offers his hand. And just as Liam Ryan's about to go and grab his hand, Mundy goes, ah, pulls his hand away and walks off. See, I don't reckon he was, he meant that. I, I reckon he put his hand down. Ryan didn't grab it immediately, but then when he went, to, they almost, they all, he almost pulled away as he went and it was too late then. 
Um, it's like opening a door for someone. If they don't go at that point, it's you miss your boat. You miss the moment. So, come on, David Mundy. He's he's a good bloke. He's not you and your that. love for David Mundy. You would pretend, you'd be you'd be a great lawyer for David Mundy because you you'd put your body on the line for him. I reckon. Uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be giving him the hand. I'd, I'd put my hand down and pick him up. Speaking of odd moments uh, like that, Jack Graham when he on Friday night when the ball. Looked to go out of bounds, but wasn't called by the boundary umpire. And everyone, including him, uh, around him sort of stops. And then he's obviously heard no whistle and going, oh, hold on, the ball's still in play here. So he runs five metres and gets a handball away. Um, mm. just there a are a couple of plays, non-playing the whistle moments throughout this round of footy that I noticed. Just players not, not playing to the whistle. Like it's the classic thing you hear in junior sport from, the, from when you're five years old. Play to the whistle. And they still don't do it. Yeah, interesting. Christian, something from the weekend that's grabbed your attention? Yeah, a couple. Just one quick one. Um, yeah, over-exuberant exal- uh, celebrations for players. I think there could be a new one on the horizon. Eddie Ford, uh, North Melbourne, <laughs> uh, new pickup. I didn't see much of him as a junior. Um, obviously, COVID-affected season last year and things like that. So I've been impressed with him. Looks pretty lively up forward. But yeah, kicked a couple of goals on the weekend. And um, just, yeah, the first one was just a bit of a, I don't know, a, a double sort of, finger point to the sky showing your bicep sort of thing but the second one we did some sort of you know six shooter or something afterwards so which he did have a little bit of a smile on his face but yeah it could be one i think you know going back to guys like brandon matera and things like that there's always guys that celebrate goals a little bit harder than others and uh, eddie ford could be one for the future to keep an eye on uh, another one a bit more yeah stats related and more about what i do but Looking at, yeah, poor Seedsman, um, similar to game what Jake, Jake was talking about. He had 24 touches in the first half. And I was just sort of thinking, well, yeah, he's pretty high up there for meters gain this year. I knew him and Brody Smith were, you know, I think one and two for a while, which sort of made me dig into uh, into the meters gain leaders this year. And um, since we started recording the stats of 2005, I think it was, we've only seen eight or oh, seven players with at least uh, 600 meters gain per game across the season. Um, and so, yeah, seven players. Five of those are this year. Uh, one of those was Riley Bonner from one game in 2016. So we can scratch him out. So, yeah, Patrick Dangerfield, 2016, averaged 620 metres per game, which is the uh, fourth most if you take out Bonner's game. But, yeah, Lacocious is actually number one this year. Aaron Hall, Daniel Rich, Brody Smith and Paul Seisman are all over 600 metres gained per game, which is, yeah, just sort of um, the highest we've ever seen. And, again, it goes back to the way what AFL tried to bring in the, the man on the mountain rules probably helped these sort of players um, to see, you know, to see five of them in one year all sort of reach this milestone that hadn't been reached, you know, only, only been reached once before just shows that, yeah, maybe the ball movement in the game is sort of changing a little bit more for the better. All Australian season from seedsman, Jake. I think it is. You know, if you're picking genuine wingers, which some people don't like to do, others just like to stack the whole team with midfielders. But I think, yeah, if you're, if you're picking, a genuine winger. Um, it's hard to think of someone who's had a better season than him. Yeah. Um, just on celebrations, some of the great ones, Mark Williams from the Hawks back in the day, speaking of uh, the yeah, shotgun, the he had a good one. Yeah. Uh, Reese Matheson's brought that out a bit. Um, <laughs> Stephen Canelio, the uh, the mask, the, the, the Bale of Dybala one. Um, what else? Any others that jump Jeff, out of you? Jeff Farmer always sort of praising the sky sort of thing after yeah, he... Yeah, doing those ones. The Xavier Dersma. Yeah, the bow and arrow. Uh, Levi's double cobras. Yeah, Tommy Papley just uh, he he doesn't necessarily running, do just anything. doing a lap. He, he, he just does a lap. Stick the tongue time. out and, and give it to everyone. 
there's been a there's been a few good ones over. Uh, Cam, I think Cam Zerhar's given probably five high fives out um, with no crowd in the last yeah. couple of years. He's kicked a couple of goals from the boundary and he likes to run along the fence giving imaginary high fives. I've noticed, I've noticed that one. I think the trainer got one last week. Um, he tried to go around the boundary line and there was no one there, but the trainer stuck a hand out and he gave one to the trainer instead. Um, something I noticed, uh, and Jake, I think you're feeling this one at the moment because I'm, I'm looking at your hair and I'm thinking, when are you next to you for a haircut? Um, but uh, Very soon, I think. I was watching the well, I was watching every game, but one stood out to me. Um, where are these players getting their haircuts? Because if they're based in Melbourne, the hairdressers aren't open. And I know that there are a few Melbourne-based teams, but I was watching the D's on the weekend specifically. Um, you look at what Christian Salem's rocking on his head, and there's no way that he's doing that at home. Bailey well, Fritch. But Bailey Fritch uh, looks like his hair is perfect every time he steps out the onto Fritch, the ground. Fritch looks like he's getting an extra centimeter every game. The other thing is. Can, can we tell Brad Johnson to stop calling him Bailey Fritz? It's Fritch. <laughs> Pronounce these names right. <laughs> um, but his hair, perfect again. And I'm, I'm looking at mine. I haven't had a haircut for far too long because of uh, the way that things are in Melbourne at the moment. And it just yours got me looks, what are you talking about? Yours looks, yours looks fresh. It's, it is not fresh at all. Um, I'm very <laughs> overdue. But where are these, are these players uh, dating hairdressers? Are they doing it for themselves? Or are they getting their teammates to do it at the club? I'd love to know because um, I once went to my hairdresser after my partner offered to cut my hair one time and do a fade because she wanted to have a go at the clippers. And uh, she had a go and I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's, it's all right. It's not great. And I walked into my hairdresser the very next time. And I kid you not, Zana, he's a great man. He, he stopped what he was doing. He had another customer in the chair. He stopped me. He was like, mate, what the hell have you done? And I said, I let my partner cut my hair, you know, just to see what, see what it was like and if, if she could do it because we've got some clippers and he looked at me and he said if you ever get her to do your hair again do not come back into this hairdresser so it got me thinking like surely these blokes, the haircuts, stuffed. these haircuts are far too good to be you know doing it themselves or getting someone who doesn't know how to do a hair haircut so i'm i'm, I'm wondering maybe, if anyone maybe can they need to investigate me. maybe they maybe. maybe they're doing something dodgy all these players well, we know that a couple of the Gold Coast Suns boys have got haircuts off players who do I was know. Say what Isaac doing. Rankin, what was Isaac yeah, Rankin? He knows doing? what he's doing. Um, but geez, every club can't have a hairdresser, can it? You wouldn't if, have thought so. If, if you do, hit me up though, because I'm in desperate need, and I think you are too, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into it. Uh, finals are, are close by, but this is the last round of the season. It's round. 23. It's one more week, Jake, we got there. Um, and there's a couple of things that we just still don't know. And it's kind of getting to a point where, I mean, we, we know what we've seen from the AFL in recent weeks where we've only found out fixtures on the Wednesday before the Friday game. But by round 15 of 18 rounds last season, we had the Gabba locked in as a grand final venue. Um, but we still don't have a venue yet for this season. Was it um, that early that we had it locked in? Was last that year? early? It was September 1st we had it locked in. And as we know, the season was pushed back. Oh, so sure. That's probably why, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it sort of got me thinking that um, Perth is obviously the, the front runner in this, in this situation because uh, they can have a full crowd uh, at, at this point at least. And, uh, well, it, it just makes sense because it's a new stadium. The, the people will get around it and all that sort of stuff. But you could also argue for the Gabba and you could also argue for Adelaide Oval if, you know, restrictions ease further in Adelaide and, and crowds can be more than the current 15,000 cap. Um, what, where do we see this heading? Because the pre-finals buy has been scrapped in order to safeguard potentially the need to quarantine um, mm. before a Perth Grand Final. It seems like um, it seems like uh, Perth is 
the, the clear front runner. Um, as you say, that was the reason why the 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 buy the pre-finals buy was scrapped. So, yeah, look, I think you know we saw it last year with Brisbane hosting the grand final. Um, it's pretty clear. Well, not pretty clear, but I think it's becoming clearer with each passing week that it's more and more unlikely that the grand final will be at the MCG. Um, so yeah, I think the next logical place would be um, Optus Stadium. Um, I, I, you know, you, the other stadiums, whether it's Adelaide Oval or the Gabba or whatever, I, I just, I don't think so. I think it makes most sense with, with the way we are right now in the current coronavirus situation. I think it makes most sense for it to be at Optus Stadium. Now, with that said, like we, we've seen over the last 18 months, how quick can things change? So, you know, would the AFL, is the AFL being cautious by not, you know, what happens if the AFL says, right, we're going to have this at Optus Stadium and then in two weeks' time, you know, the cases start popping up over there and we've got to change again. So is there is there a rush, is there a need for the AFL to rush to lock in a venue? What benefit is there for rushing to lock in a venue? Uh, that is a good point. Uh, I, I don't think there is because as it stands, no one from Melbourne, no one from Victoria, no one from New South Wales and, and uh, probably a few other states, I haven't checked the availability, is getting into WA at this point. And this is where my sort of spicy hot take is coming from. And I, I, I say this uh, with a lot of respect for Perth-based AFL fans, but West Australia, the way that the state government there has treated football and... Australians in general, I know mates that have tried to get over to Perth have been mid-flight told that they have to quarantine for 14 days when they get to WA. And the way that they've approached the whole situation over there, requiring teams to quarantine, um, sending West Coast and Frio over to Queensland-based hubs and then requiring clubs to quarantine on the way back as they host hubs, they've been so difficult to deal with from an AFL perspective. And I think South Australia, which hasn't been too much better, but they've been better, um, would probably be more deserving if, if they can guarantee a full house. I, I think the, the, the WA has done nothing in my mind to help the situation. Um, but what or, are they supposed to do? Be, be flexible like every other state has had to be in this dynamic situation. And the way that they've been able to get away with imposing ridiculous restrictions, really. Um, you know, and... and, and they're not the only state to have done that. Like I said, South Australia have had similar but not as draconian uh, restrictions on AFL teams and all but that. Were we as, talking as about the in. same sort of thing with with Queensland last last year? Were we? They were in hubs. Once they did their quarantine period, they were, yeah, they were but, free but to before, do it. But... Before we went into hubs, I, I I don't know whether it's necessarily comes down to whether whether a, a state or a city or a venue deserves it or not. I, I don't know the, whether the that... reason they've shifted the buy is to make sure that clubs and broadcasters, whoever are able to do the quarantine. Like it, I, I don't know. They've just made things incredibly difficult over the, over the entire period. So where would and you have it? Adelaide Oval. My, my preference would be to reward a state, which has probably come to the, come to play a bit more than WA has. And that would be South Australia. So long as they can guarantee a full house. I just don't understand. I just don't know what Adelaide, uh, what South Australia has done that WA hasn't done. I, I'm trying mean? to, I'm trying to get my head around what you mean in terms of Adelaide. Uh, South Australia has been more accommodating than WA. Like mm. they've all, each state has its own set of restrictions, and you've got to, you've got to um, oblige by them. You can't. You've got to respect that. I, I don't necessarily think that it, it comes down to well, such WA had harsher restrictions, so we're not gonna we're not gonna um, 
we're not going to reward them with having the grand final. I don't clubs, necessarily think that comes into play at all. Clubs have been allowed to fly in and fly out of Adelaide when they've wanted to play at Adelaide Oval, whereas every club has to do seven days of quarantine. That's why we've had Monday night games in, in Perth. It's just been a complete and utter stuff around uh, where there are other options on the table and... But the they're not just there. doing that for the AFL. No, no, of course not. But but I'm saying they haven't helped. The, 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 exactly. The whole situation has been just, it's been non-helpful in, in the greater sense of everything. And I think going to Perth and then rewarding them, again, the, the people of Perth but and then, the footy fans but then of Perth. You look at, then you look at WA and you think, well, hang on a minute. They're actually, they're, they're doing better than any other state when it comes to coronavirus. So, And I cannot deny that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I think then from your point of view, why don't we reward them as a nation to say, well, hang on a minute, you've set the you've set the standard for how we should deal with with the virus. So here you can have the grand final, and we can and we can send fifty thousand people over there with the virus. <laughs> That's a great point. And I, I look, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I just think it's uh, I, I would feel more comfortable saying that Adelaide should have next crack at it, but that's just me. So. Um... Look, obviously, there are there are decisions still to come. Um, what, what percent? Like, if, if we had to put a percent on it or something like that, where where do we think the MCG is? Do we think it's a ten percent, five percent, one percent? It's bottom of the bottom of the pecking order. It's one percent. Yeah, one percent. One percent. Slight chance the Gabba. Slightly bigger chance Adelaide. A overwhelming eighty plus percent. It's a shame, yeah. isn't it? I like don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know. What's your What's your one percent at the MCG include? Fifteen thousand. <laughs> I, I think yeah, I've got no idea. I don't know because I just I just I can't see crowds being allowed in. Like you can't. Well, we need at least fifty, right? MCG. It needs to be half full. No. Mm. Just, I, I wouldn't yeah. even do it at fifty percent capacity at the MCG. If If Adelaide and Perth are saying hundred percent or even eighty percent, yeah, fifty percent MCG. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, fifty percent of the MCG is a is a pretty average atmosphere, to be honest. It's the third highest crowd available behind Perth and behind Adelaide. But I mean, Mark McGowan wants players to be vaccinated as well. I just look, uh, look respect to WA, and I love the footy fans of WA having been there a few times to watch football. It's been fantastic. <laughs> We're now. No, no, no. I'm not backpedaling. I'm saying that's that's great, but give it to Adelaide instead. All right. Well, we'll, Eddie, be, we'll be monitoring this. I mean. If, as I said, though, is there a, is there any need to 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 announce it sooner no. rather than later? No, I don't um, think Yeah, particularly if it is to the other thing is, um, it's kind of funny or ironic, whatever you want to call it, that it could likely to be in Perth. It is the front runner we've said, but neither West Coast or um, the Dockers are going to be playing finals. Which I don't know the last time both both WA based teams didn't play finals, but I mean it's a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, you could have had some pretty parochial crowds, but I guess a, a truly neutral venue is is also probably a good thing in that case. Yeah. Um, anyway, we can argue about this for a while if you wanted to. So let's move on. Christian, sorry, we've uh, neglected you there, but we do have some stats-based stuff coming up. Um, last week, we talked a little bit more about the competition's sort of relative evenness. Uh, and if North Melbourne can win this week, they could finish on 22 points five wins and a draw, which would be the most for a wooden spooner since 1998. We've asked you to dig around into some further stats uh, and, and just to sort of see where the competition's heading. Are the bad teams now as bad as the bad teams in years gone by? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably a good way, way to sell it. It's a good way to put it, if yeah. Um, yeah, so looking at the bottom four teams, sort of gone back to 2020 onwards, um, and just looked at, yeah, sort of how the bottom four group stacks up to other bottom four groups, exactly as you said, from previous years. And 
yeah, in terms of if you just look at how many matches or how many match points they got, you obviously get four points for a win. As you said, North Melbourne have got a draw there. You get two points for a draw. The combined total of the bottom four teams is 94 points at the moment going into the final round of the season. Uh, and with North playing Adelaide, it's basically guaranteed four points, four more points going to the bottom four teams, which will at least give a minimum of 98 sort of match points on the AFL ladder. That will be the equal most uh, in the in the last 20 years. So going back to 2000 and 2002, the bottom four teams also finished with 98 points between them. So, uh, yeah, in terms of an 18-team competition, clearly the most even we've you know seen 15th to 18th. Um, and you got to go back to yeah, 16 team competition to see as many wins across the bottom four. So, uh, sort of looked at the percentage as well. It's only ranks about seventh or eighth in that time. So they're still probably a fair way off. Um, again, if you sort of look at their record against top four, it's interesting. It's a, it's a, you know, there's some big, um, big percentage swings between for the top four against bottom four. But you look at Adelaide, who beat Melbourne and Geelong who are currently in the top four. So even the bottom four has a, uh, four or five wins against the top four teams between them. Uh, so that's, yeah, sort of where the bottom four is placed. We sort of, I think, you know, spoke about theories or reasons why last week, I think. But it keeps coming back. I think a lot is to do with just the 2011 to probably 2015, 16 period where Gold Coast and GDOS were coming into the competition, um, compromising the drafts so and making it harder for the teams that had finished low, lower on the ladder to top up again, um, as well as, you know, Gold Coast and GWS going through their own teething issues and being sort of whipping boys of the competition for their first year, both of them, you know, getting beaten by at least 70 points per game um, in their opening season. So, you know, thinking um, back to that, like, it's, it's just... It's not even that long ago, but it just feels so stupid. The fact that they were just going out every week and getting absolutely pants. It did surprise me that Gold Coast only won one wooden spoon in a row. I mean, it was helped by GWS coming in the next year. GWS were only two. So it was the same thing. I sort of just went along, um, which we'll talk about next, and just compared North Melbourne to the bottom 18 teams. But I mean, Gold Coast have only had two uh, wooden spoons in their history. It, It feels like more, and we sort of say that, but... We knew they were going to struggle, you know, sold to us as a 20 year investment. It was, you know, it was never going to be this quick and it's still, it's, you know, within 10 years um, or, you know, it's about just over, sorry, 10 years of them coming in. But yeah, when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, I'm surprised that Gold Coast and GWS felt like they were both on the bottom of the ladder between themselves for about four or five years. But um, yeah, as I said, GWS, they're two in a row. They're the only two wooden spoons for them and Gold Coast two uh, in their first year, 2011 and more recently in 2019. But sort of surprised me when I sort of looked at it as a whole. Mm. We're going to talk a little bit about this, the method of by which these teams were introduced a bit later, Jake, with some alternatives that we might throw up. Um, but yet I, I, some of those games and, and some of those spankings were just, it was week on week and you could, you could write, you could set your mm. watch to them. And, and, and I think the, the losing margin, the average losing margin for some of those teams was just outrageously high. Mm. I remember going to a Giants game in Melbourne, maybe their first or second season and they lost by about 75 points and everyone was everyone around me was sort of saying oh that's that wasn't too bad <laughs> it was like man well, they're, yes. yeah, they're, they're, i've looked at sort of every wooden spooner since 2010 onwards um and they were at 46.2 percent uh, on the ladder which is the only team below 50 percent so they were less <laughs> yeah, than, that's you know, uh, their opposition was more than double their score and they had the average losing margin of 77 points per game which was the That's most of any unbelievable, wasn't it? Time. So it was, mm. it was, yeah, pretty dire season for 
But looking at this this year's bottom four teams, I think you, you guys nailed it. I mean, we've spoken about this a little bit, and I've been big on the on saying that the whole, not just the bottom four, but the whole league, it's such an even even league. I mean, we saw Hawthorne, who I don't they, I don't think they're in the bottom four now, but they they were who beat the Bulldogs on the weekend. So we do get upsets like that happening. Um, you know, North Melbourne was awful for the first half of the year, first eight to 10 games. We're not going to deny that. Since the buy rounds, I mean, they've been, you would not look at North and think that's definitely the, that's definitely the worst team in the league. That's the wooden spoon team. You know, as you said, Adelaide, they've beaten two, two teams that'll be fighting it out for a grand, for a, for a premiership. Um, Hawthorne, we just touched on. Suns have had a couple of good wins. Rebuilt Swans. Yeah, I mean, it's the AFL is in a good spot in terms of how even the competition is. I I don't think there's many professional sporting leagues out there that have such an even competition. Have you done any digging on North and their recent Tish form, Christian? Yeah, so again, looked at all wooden spooners from 2010 onwards just to see where North's season rank is. Season as a whole, it doesn't sort of stand out as too much. I mean... They are on 71%, um, which is the third highest of any wooden spooner in that time. So West Coast in 2010, again, just before Gold Coast came in, the final uh, year mm. of 16 teams. Uh, they finished with a percentage of 77 uh, with four wins. Uh, Brisbane had the five wins and 74.3% uh, in 2017 as wooden spooners. And North are currently at four wins, um, as we spoke about, or four and a half wins, sorry, with the draw. Uh, get another win, and that'll be the most wins by any wooden spooner since '98. Uh, and their percentage is 71%, sort of the third highest. Um, and across the year, again, to, across the whole year, their average losing margin of 39 points. It's sort of the third lowest in that time with 2020 Adelaide, um, counting that with the shortened games. So you sort of got to put an asterisk next to that. Again, goes back to West Coast 2010, uh, average losing margin of 34 points. Um, as I said, reel off some of the other numbers of wooden spooners 77, 71. Average yeah. margin of 58, 51, 50. Uh, so 39 and 34 for West Coast those two years. Um, 39 for North this year. Yeah. If you take out some of those early early results oh. for North, it's a pretty respectable... Take out the one loss of the dogs. And that's I what mean, I've looked at. Yeah, and that's probably the interesting... I've looked at just from round 13 onwards. Um, so sort of when every team had finished their buys, I think just around that stage. And North are there. Three wins, one draw and six losses in that time. So 13th on the AFL mm. form ladder. So... Um, you know, not top eight or anything, but I just compared it to pre- the previous Wooden Spooners, uh, again, going back to 2010 West Coast. Uh, from round 13 onwards, starting from West Coast, it was one win, uh, one win for Gold Coast after round 13 in 2011, one win for the Giants after round 13 in 2012, 1-1, one, 2-2 one, two for Carlton and Essendon after round 13 in 2015 and 16. Three for Brisbane, who we've sort of mentioned. One for Carlton. Zero for Gold Coast in 2019. So you can sort of see wooden spooners have really, really finished yeah. just, you know, uh, early in the season. And, you know, especially when you, you think about the media and the headlines, you get their, their headlines have probably started five, six weeks before the end of the season because they're in such bad form. The last two wooden spooners, and we spoke about it with Adelaide last year, uh, how much they turned their game around after their buy. They had three wins um, in their final eight games last year. Um, and yeah, North have had sort of three wins at the moment in their final, you know, their last 10 with, you know, another, another game in hand. So it goes back to me again, just little signs a little bit. I make the call that tanking is dead. Um, and it goes back to the fact that I think across world sport, there's no proof that tanking works. So we talk about teams wanting to lose and get, you know, higher draft picks. The last two years we're seeing less than that. I think there's more of a, 
there's just no proof that, you know, continually finishing down the bottom is going to help you in the long run because we haven't really seen a team really achieve that. I think Melbourne, Melbourne I think it did it. The, the, players that they, is. the players that they chose in those years are no longer with them. So I don't, I don't even think you put Melbourne's recent success down to their, no. their, yeah. their tanking period, if you want to call it that. Well, you look at Carlton's three number one draft picks in a row as well, and, and they won two finals between them. Um, so, sorry, well, six finals. So I guess they all played in two each, but uh, in winning finals, sorry, that is. Uh, and, and it's just like, well, you know, was that worth all the pain of, of, of finishing last? And I think Carlton in that era, five, six, seven, did tank. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I think, yeah, I think that's what I've noticed across the last two years or so. Probably even, you know, a few years ago, there was, I think, got to round 18 and it was 13 teams that could possibly make the top eight. Um, so the, the, the competition to me seems to be getting closer. And I think, yeah, the, the, the culture of winning is becoming more important than trying to get higher, you know, one extra spot up on a draft pick. Fair enough. Uh, Jake, you did mention the Hawks and they were a bottom four team until recently, but they've been one of the, probably the more curious sides of the far, past few weeks. And mm. not only because of their late season form, which uh, has them flying, basically. Uh, but Flying? Flying, flying uh, well, up the ladder. On, on the form ladder of the last month, they'd be in the top eight for sure. Um, but it just happens to coincide with Clarko having been shown the door in favour of a younger, fresher coach. Mm. Now, you're Clarko's biggest critic in the ESPN offices, but surely now you must also admit that Jeff Kennett and the Hawks might have made a, a bit of a blue. I think I'm the most critical of Clarko in the, in the AFL world, to be honest. I mean, everyone seems to love him. Um have they made a mistake in getting rid of him? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but you know, if everyone's saying now, since since that announcement, they've won, they've won three straight games. Um, two of them against good opposition in Brisbane and the Bulldogs. You know, I my the way I look at it is, well, if he's again, if he's that good, why would why had they won one? Why have they won two of their first fourteen games or whatever it was? So. Why wait till now to, to, to turn it on? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I just find it interesting that it's not like Clarkson's an old coach. He's been around for a while, but he's not an old man. It's not like he's, he's you sort of look at them and <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. You don't look at someone and go, oh, they've been out of the game too long. Um, I mean, if you just have to look at some of the coaches around the competition at the moment and how many have been recent disciples of him to sort of see where he's regarded elsewhere. And it, it just seems to me that when Collingwood and Nathan Buckley parted ways, Collingwood went sniffing around um, Sam Mitchell. And I think the Hawks, they, they got a bit nervous and they said, oh, we need to do something about this. And I, I don't know how else to describe this, but I was talking to a mate about this earlier in the week and used the analogy that a farmer has a really good kelpie that can round up sheep. Um, look, one of the best ever. And it's it's only seven years old, but it's seven years old. Uh, and, and he's just heard about a litter of pups from an amazing, you know, broodstock or whatever. And, and they, they, the opportunity to buy a brand new Kelpie that could potentially be even better, but it might not be at, at rounding up the sheep. So it's like, why, why would you go for something so unproven and risk what you've got with one of the greatest coaches of all time um, just because someone else is sniffing around for Mitchell's signature? I I... I it, it's it a fantastic beggars, it point. It, do, it is a fantastic point, And it almost highlights, I think you're spot on. I think they wanted to secure his services because they almost, they, they didn't they want nervous. anyone else to have him. Yeah. You know, it's the classic, um, it's the classic 
they don't need him until somebody else wants him. Um, and two two babies, one playing with a toy and the other one wants it. And that's exactly yeah. what it is. Um, and that's not to say, it's not to be critical of either Sam Mitchell or Alastair Clarkson, but you're right. I, I don't know why they would want to or need to move off him um, at this well, he, point in time. He committed. He'd said publicly, sorry. He said publicly that he was willing to undergo a rebuild and, and was in for the long haul. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, you, you're right, someone starts rummaging around the cot for some other toys and, and the toddler over here looks and goes, oh, hold on, maybe I want that toy, even though they're not using it. So, look, this morning as well, um, former Hawk James Morrissey's penned a, an opinion piece in The Age saying that uh, it's time for, for Jeff Kennett to stand down for some of the decisions and, and attitudes taken by him over the last few years and... Just seems that Hawthorne. Um, I think a lot of fans are a bit frustrated by the conduct of well, Jeffrey in recent times. You know who the biggest loser is out of all of this? There's only one person who's a huge loser, and that's Sam Mitchell, because <laughs> now he's all all of a sudden in the last month, the pressure on him has been ratcheted up an enormous amount. Because now that now the Hawthorne fans will end the season potentially four straight wins, you know, and and climb out of that top four, uh, uh, bottom four with the hope in the off season that, Hey, maybe we can play finals next year. Look at the way we ended our season. You know, um, if, if, if the Hawks don't start well next year, the pressure is going to be red hot on Sam Mitchell. Mm, won't it? And Jeff Kennett, if he's still there. And I don't necessarily think that's fair for him because I don't think it's his fault. The way everything went panned out and went down. Um, had he, had he got the, for example, if had he got the Collingwood job, if he got the Collingwood job and they started the season three and seven, Collingwood. that's the Collingwood. If Sam Mitchell got the Collingwood job and they started the season, they were three and seven or whatever around the buys. I don't think it would be as disastrous as if, if as if he's three and seven at Hawthorne next year. And people are saying, well, why do we get rid of Alistair Clarkson? Mm, who could end up at, at Collingwood, funnily enough. <laughs> yeah. Something to watch with interest. And I people think, will um, be comparing those records. If he is at Collingwood, people will be looking at the two. Yeah, they probably will be. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole time, guys. Uh, a segment where I'll say a statement and you've got to tell me whether the hype is justified if I'm speaking in hyperbole. Christian, you've watched footy for longer than we have, um, just by virtue of the fact that you're a bit older than we are. <laughs> Eddie Betts is the most universally loved player ever. Uh yeah, I was thinking about this statement last night. I think someone posted on Twitter. And I think on the surface, yes, he's universally loved, especially in the media, broadcasters, everyone that covers footy, everyone loves Eddie Betts. But I'm sort of torn to hear him say it himself, that the, the, the racist abuse he's copped, you know, weekly, daily, he almost said last week. It it makes me second guess my answer to that statement. I love him. Um, loved him when he went to Adelaide. I'm a talent supporter. Loved him when he went to Adelaide. He's probably almost happy for him as, you know, like a family, he's getting paid more. He gets to go home, like, you know, good on him. Uh, came back, made me even happier. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's it's a funny one for me. I think he is, but I think it makes us have to, yeah, sort of take a step back and think about what he has gone through um, in his time in the league. And yeah, some of the, some of the, I know we're not allowed to say that word you said at the start, Matt, but some of the crappy behavior that he's had to uh, put up with. Um, yeah. I think we should take some time to reflect on that. But again, I don't know anyone that doesn't love Eddie Betts. Anyone that knows footy loves Eddie Betts. Mm. Mm. I think the the vast, vast, vast majority of people would agree with you. And you're right. It's a small, uh, terrible minority, I think, that, that does continue to ruin it for Betts and for the rest of us. And it's a bit of a shame. But 
Jake, yeah, as a Carlton fan, some of your fondest memories of bets? Uh, uh, we we uh, answered this as another roundtable question this week. Um, and yeah, I, I, normally I can write those answers quite quickly, but I, I had to pause for a while and, and reflect on on his career and some of the goals he's kicked and the memorable, memorable moments he's provided us. But the one that really does stick out and the one I went with in the end was a couple of years ago when he kicked that goal and, and he and Sydney stack had that embrace. And um, it probably stood out because of how it got overblown in the media, how, how they shouldn't have done that and how we didn't, we don't do that nowadays and all that nonsense. And I just thought it was a great moment. It was an, it was just a natural reaction to it. And I just love that, that little, little moment that split second where he gives him that that points at at stack and kind of says i told you i'd kick it or or whatever and i just love that moment and i think that really sums up eddie as a player and the way he is yeah to find one moment i mean there's one game that stands out for me and it's his eight goals against essendon because it was the same night walker took the mark and just as a carlton support everything just went right that night and he lit it up but i think what jake said at the end there just the amount of times what's he kicked he's kicked over 600 goals so that's 620 times we got to see that wide smile of after he's mm. kicked a goal it's not in your face back at the opposition there's no arrow he just enjoys mm. playing footy um and i think that's what makes everyone enjoy watching him because he is just one of those players that and it goes back to i always think as a small forward and i think it's always been a theory with fast bowls in cricket you need to be a little bit different to be a successful small forward in the afl stevie Milne, uh i think lindsey thomas jeff farmer they all had it you had you, Tom Papley, a little bit in your face, a little bit of, you know, niggle. He doesn't do that. He's just Who Tommy Papley mentions? Eddie, yeah, well, yeah. But Eddie Betts is just pure enjoyment. Just just none of that stuff. And I think the thing that gets me with some of the goals that he's kicked is he looks almost just as surprised as as some of us. And I I know it's just instinctual the way that he can get the ball on the boot sometimes and and where he finds himself. But he's just an incredibly special player. And and I've actually really struggled this week to get my head around it like I there are tribute videos out there that the Blues have posted a couple of bits and pieces. Um, the AFL, I haven't watched any of them because I can't, I haven't yet come to terms with the fact that it doesn't happened. feel real, does it? Well, I was, I was 13, I think, when he first debuted and I was there when he kicked that goal of the year in, in 2005. Um, you know, one of his, I think it was his first season, one of his first games that he played and it was against the Pies, you know, massive occasion. And um, that was actually my ringtone for a while, the commentary of that, that goal. Because I, I was just, amazed and, and it was just such a, a bloody good moment um that I, I don't know i just i still haven't got my head around the fact that he's going to be retiring he's played three well he will have played 350 games but he'll go down as one of the most exciting players of all time jake and possibly the one player with the best five minute highlight reel i think he does um uh, buddy? no i i think i think bets has the best five minute highlight reel of any player to play the game and and yeah buddy's got buddy's close and people will argue Peter Dacos or, or Gary Ablett Sr. or whatever. But I honestly think that Eddie's five-minute highlight reel, the amount of goals he's kicked that uh, that could genuinely have won goal of the year, it's inc- it's ridiculous. Um, and, and not be just first, the second, same third on the kind of goal. Not just the same get it and snap it from the boundary. He's kicked all kinds of re- amazing goals that other players couldn't kick. And just going back to how he's universally loved, not only is he loved from the general public, but I don't know if there's a player that I can remember that's been more loved from his fellow players. Have you ever seen Eddie, like a player go up to Eddie and start jumper punching him or anything like that? <laughs> no. Uh, if no. they could, they'd all be going up to him to get, if, if, if it was in our, 
AFL culture, they'd be swapping shirts with Eddie. Every player would want his shirt after. Some after players a have. Game. Some players have. So, I think I remember specifically in, in an Indigenous round one year, I think, um, I'm not sure who it was off the top of my head, but someone really wanted to swap jumpers with him. So they did. So he did. Yeah, there you go. That, yeah, rings a bell. But yeah, he's, um, he's a wonderful player, a wonderful ambassador for the game. And yeah, I think he'll be sorely missed. And it's the second season in a row as a Carlton fan. We've lost a champion. You know, last season was Cade Simpson and, and then now this this year it's it's Eddie. So they're slowly and Mark Murphy. Let's not forget Mark Murphy, but we're we're slowly losing him. But a few big names have announced retirements over the last couple of days. I mean, Asprey's announced that what a dependable defender he was for the Tigers. Stephen Hill, um, Christian, you sort of said that he, he was probably the best player in the league there for about a season at one point under under Ross Lyon. Tom Rockliffe, um, two clubs and, and gave his all. Murphy, as you mentioned, Jake, and I'm sure a few more to, to be announced in, in coming days and coming weeks as well. It's always a sad week, this one, because you, you, you always get them. And it's kind of, um, there might be players that you do think you kind of forget about, but have gone through some really tough times over the last few years with injuries or form or whatever it might be. So you always get those, you get the vast majority of these retirements in the, the last week of the season. Yep, absolutely. You got a you got one for me, Jake. Uh, I do have one for you, um, and I'm prepared <laughs> this time because I know I'm not normally prepared. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> the <laughs> AFL should give new teams, so a new any new team that that we get, whether it's a Tassie team or whatever, an NHL style expansion draft. Yeah, look, um, this is an interesting discussion. I'd love to uh, to delve into this a bit deeper at some point when we can, but. We were talking about before, but the GWS and the Gold Coast method didn't work. Throwing draft picks at them and a couple of you know old gnarly veterans thrown in there for a for a season or two. Um, Pierce Hanley's <laughs> did not work. Luke Power, um, it, it didn't work. And, and the way to fix it, and this is going to get a lot of controversy because I know that AFL is not as rich as some of these American codes are. But the NHL recently, the Seattle Kraken was an expansion team, and there was an expansion draft whereby they can pick any player they want from any other team to fill their roster uh, with the exception of the, the, every other team is allowed to protect one, two, three. I'm, I'm not exactly certain on the details um, players that are untouchable. And so basically um, if, if you say, if you look at Richmond, perhaps you might put a tag on shy Bolton, uh, Dustin Martin, um, Whoever you want, right? Uh, and what are you showing me there, Jake? I I'm showing see. you the Seattle Kraken logo. It's who designed that? A two-year-old. <laughs> right. So Richmond might protect, you know, five players, but then they can go. Great. Uh, we'll take Nick Vlaston, and we'll take, um, you know, Sydney Stack, uh, and, and then from Carlton we'll take this player, and from Fremantle we'll take this player, and you know, but Fife and Walters are protected or whatever. And that's the way you need to do it. That is the way you need to ensure that teams do not spend 10 years catching up to the rest of the competition. Let and me you say, ask you this. How many players, because an AFL team has more more players on its list than an NHL team, I imagine. Yeah, um, absolutely. So how many players are you protecting? Per well, I would, I would say you could protect five. I, I, again, this is very, very. Um, yeah, I know. Doors. So, you're, so the sixth best player, or, or your, your sixth most valuable player, could just be taken. Yep. Well, t- I mean, taken, paid, uh, you know, remunerated. Maybe the contract is taken up by um, the, the the new team. And but what if they don't want to go? Well, th- this is the, this is the this is the controversy and the part where it get, gets a bit sticky. So then maybe the AFL says. Yep, this is the way we're going to do it. However, these expansion contracts 
uh, maximum of two years. And, and you can re-sign if you want after that, um, if, you, if you love it. But if you want to play footy, this is the reality, is you can get drafted anywhere uh, and, and you, can, you can get taken over in an NHL-style expansion draft. And it might only happen once every 20 years, as we found out, or once every 10 years. Um, and that's just the risk of, of growing up in a time when the AFL is looking to expand. It's not, I'm not saying you do it every year, like free agency or, or trades just like that. But if an expansion comes along, I think that's, that's I'd, what. I'd still argue it, it, that what we did was a failure. Gold it was Coast awful. Been great. GWS have been okay. So it's not Fix a failure. It. I don't, I don't think it's a failure what we had. I don't, I don't it, we've had both. We've had GWS who were fine. People are saying they're too strong. They got too much. And Gold People Coast were, were saying the Giants. Don't you problem. remember so... everyone saying the Giants were going to win ten flags in a row? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and look, they haven't because the draft doesn't work like that. So I think that there's a better way to go about it. But I'd argue if you could take if you if you if, let's say that you could protect for every club protects their five best players. If you take the sixth, seventh, and eighth best player from every club, I would argue you should be just about a flag favourite. No, it'd be, you, surely you could only take one player from each Yeah, club. yeah, it, yeah. So yeah, you, you get to a point where you take a full draft hand over two years and then you fill it with the, the spots. So you could raid 16 of the teams for one player each. Okay, so if, yeah, you, yeah. Take the, if you take the sixth best player from every, from 18 clubs, yeah. you don't think you'd be, in, you'd be one of the ch- a chance for, to win a flag. The sixth best player on every team. Well, I'd have to look at who the sixth best player on every team is, and then the makeup of the draft. I'm just saying that there because is your there... worst player then would be would be far better than every club's worst player. Your your drop off wouldn't be as much as anyone else. Then you protect ten players, but then I you don't know... like it. I, okay. I don't like it. The, the thing is, it's very American. Where I don't remember, <laughs> it's not about that. It's well, we work for an American company, but we but it's um. We don't. They don't get paid enough to be able to just be thrown around like. That's yeah, the thing that annoys me about the US, US sport. I, I love basketball. And I love. I love a bit of the US sporting sporting culture, but I just hate how players are treated like. Commodities. Um, just yeah. It's just like they're not human beings. Almost. It's just like they always talk about play. Oh, they're pieces. It's like they're athletes. They're players. And don't they're well remunerated pieces. for that fact, Jake. They Let's are, but we're yeah. not here. You can't, oh, you can't yeah. expect a player on 150 grand to just p- pack up and move move interstate to go and to go and play when they don't want to. I don't think that's he, here's why. It's here's why I thought of this. It's different if you're on 20 million playing playing hockey over in America. Here's what here's why I thought of this, Jake, and it's because if if this and last season's taught us anything, it's that players can do anything. The way that they've had to adjust to. Things being thrown at them on the fly. Yeah, they can moving. do anything, but they don't. Yeah. They, anyone can do it, but do you want to let's, do it? Should you have to do it? No. Don't. Don't. Let's. Let's not. Let's not get comfortable. Let's make sure that um, players. Look, I'm just saying this is an alternative, and the AFL is so hell bent on being like American sports anyway. They might as well give this a go. Um. Don't like it. Don't Fair like, what next? Give handout rings at the at the grand final. No, I don't, I don't like it. Who, who's your favourite Carlton player? If Premiership medals to all players that play throughout the season. Who's your favourite Carlton player? <laughs> of all time or currently? No, now. Oh. That's not a top five player. <laughs> Jack, Jack Silvani? Okay, so if Carlton didn't protect Jack Silvani and this and Tazzy came along and pinched him, how, you'd be but, disappointed? Yeah, but Jack Silvani's not going to make him a Premiership contender. We've got we to move on. We're running out of time. Uh, you're against it. I'm for it. Christian's not for it. I don't think much needs to change. Let's give him a <laughs> 
<laughs> there is another 19 team. Just give them the same as Gold Coast. You know, we'll see how they go. What about, they can ta- what about if it's a Tassie team? They can take only Tassie players. Tassie-born players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, for another day. <laughs> All right, uh, Jake. Umpires need to pay more 50-meter penalties for time wasting. And I say this, don't time waste here. Uh, this is very justified. One of the more justified hypes of the year. <laughs> this is a real issue I have and I get really frustrated with it. And I think I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast throughout the year and perhaps in previous years. It's it's the classic player gives free kick away, has the ball. There's clearly one person who who the free kick's for and he's asking the umpire who's it for pointing, like I don't know who it is, who do I give it to? That has got to stop. The AFL has been really big on speeding the game up and, and we know all these rules that have come in uh, is to keep the game moving quickly and not have not have defences flooded. By wasting time and allowing defences to get back, it's slowing the game down and it's disadvantaging teams. Any player that isn't giving the ball back immediately should be... A 50-metre penalty has to be paid by the umpire. And I'd argue that doing that and wasting time has a far greater impact on the actual game and the play than a player running six metres parallel to the man on the mark in the protected area, which has almost no impact on the play. Well said. I think that just about sums it up. Um, there are some awful instances on the weekend and in previous weeks where it's just, yeah. it's, it's too it's obvious. So, I mean, are you kidding me? Like, just give the ball back. There was one, I think we spoke about it last week on the podcast in the dying seconds of the... Yeah, the West Coast Melbourne game? Yeah. Where, where was it Petty wouldn't give the ball back? Mm. Yeah, they got to pay these. They pay these kicks. Pay these yep. fifty meter penalties. Christian, the dogs' premiership hopes are over. Oh, no, not no. Obviously, they're still. You don't yeah. sound convinced though. Well, that's the thing. I sort of. I I did say this early in the season. I'd say then. They're still one of the favourites for me, and it was. They were so perfect for twelve or thirteen weeks. They've had a bit of a dip. Um, it was the three losses they had to have. <laughs> well, exactly. You, you never wanted to. You never want to have a dip at this time of the year. But no, I'm not. I'm not writing them off. The, the signs that they've shown over, you know, not the last three weeks, but the 23 weeks as a whole, they're still in it. You know, up to their neck. Jake, I, think they have to be, I think they have to beat Port. If they don't beat Port this week and Brisbane win, they'll drop out of the four. And I don't think. Yeah, we can talk about 2016 all we want, but I don't think they're going to do it again from outside. They're they're, they're key forward stocks. They really need to they really need to hold their place in the top four, um, and win their, the first prelim. Otherwise, I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. Um, and, and that's me who have picked them. I, I mean, I'm I'm not, I have been pot on them all year. I, I just think they have to win this week. Don't think they're going to do it from fifth. Um, and last one, Jake. I know that your man love for this man is approaching David Mundy like levels. So let's try and uh, keep keep it uh, PG. But Jack Steele should be all Australian this season. Yeah, he should be. And anyone that and and I look, I asked you to add this question in because I've been stunned by the amount of people that I've been speaking to that don't think he deserves it or sh- or wouldn't have him in. Now I know the 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 um, the battle for midfield spots in the all Australian team is extremely tight and it's difficult to pick, you know, your four or five or six or however many you're going with, but he's in, he's had a better year than last year. He finished third in the Brownlow medal last year. It's just St. Kilda hasn't been as good this year, but he's been just about their best player every single week. 
Um, and if, if he has one more good game in round 23, he very well may win the Brownlow this year. And it would be an absolute disgrace, Matt Prudis' oh. disgrace, if he's not in the All-Australian team and he is the Brownlow medalist. Because everyone will be asking, you know, no one will mind at the time, but when he gets that Charlie draped around his neck, people will be saying, well, why, why was he not in the All-Australian team? He is my, I would say only Bontem Pally um, and Oliver are the absolute lock midfielders ahead of him right now. My, my caveat on, on your Brownlow... And, and, sorry, and, and Wines. My caveat on your Brownlow argument is that often you can be far and away the best player on your team, whereas other teams have players who are equal to the best player on their team. And, and I know it's, a, it's a cliche to steal votes, but... There haven't been many people taking votes off Jack Steele all year, whereas there might be better players in better teams that have been outshone briefly in some games compared to others. Christian, any thoughts on Steele before we wrap things up for this week? Uh, yeah, I find all Australian discussion funny when you just throw up one name. He should be in there. Well, yeah. at the moment, there's no team out. But when there's a team out and people just start throwing names, you go, who should be in there? It's like, well, you got to take some guys out. So... Uh, I haven't done a team, but yeah, you mentioned the names I'd have ahead of him. Bonson Pally, Oliver, I'd have Took Miller ahead of him. Um, Petrarca, Jack McRae. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably... Craig McRae. What? <laughs> I could sneak him onto the bench, uh, but I wouldn't... I'd, you know, first looks, I haven't, as I said, I haven't done an All-Australian team. I wouldn't probably have him in on my starting midfield. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> boy, oh boy, wowee. Uh, footy tips. It's the last week of the oh. season. So, look, if you're, if you're in with a chance in your footy tips group, which I am not, uh, please get your tips in. And I know, look, Sunday. Sunday's a tough one to tip, isn't it? It might come down to Sunday because you've got that bottom What's of the, the last table clash. It's the Adelaide and North Melbourne clash. Oh, that's the last one, is it? Yeah, right. Um, I'm going north. I think north will win this. I'm hoping North do just for that stat about being the best wooden spoon team since '98. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I tell you what, it, for a last round of footy, it's pretty good, good round. <laughs> a lot of good, good games here, a lot of exciting games. Even like, you know, even that Richmond Hawthorne, it's like interesting to see who's going to win that. Um, the only game that I look at and I'm kind of like, eh, is probably Sydney and, and Gold Coast. But then you think, well, Gold Buddy Coast comes back Sydney, in, just... could, he, could he snag 10 and keep that thou- the thousand goals? Uh, in 2021 alive, but Suns have already beaten the Swans this year, though. Yeah, they have. They've actually beaten them. I reckon they beat them. Did they beat them last year or the year before as well? They Ooh. seem to go all right against them, but potentially. I'd have to have a look. They haven't anyway. exactly been. Yeah, they had that win. I remember they had a that <laughs> win by about 40 points against them a couple of years back. Yeah, I think it was at the SCG too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That was yeah. a good win. All right, uh, enough of our ramblings, Christian. Thank you for joining us. Uh, sorry, you've got to put up with us bickering back and forth a lot, like a bit of an old married couple. But uh, we'll speak to you next week. It won't be a bye. It'll be ahead of the finals. So we'll get some juicy uh, finals team stuff going for that. Jake, good to argue with you as always. And to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.